Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Going to be a lot of rugby going on here. Take it short. Lateral. They practiced that on Wednesday. Time's going to expire on the game, so this either goes or it doesn't. Ball's still alive. It's got to be a backwards lateral. Get behind it. Still alive. Duke doing a nice job staying, staying spacing all over. Oh, he got, they got a block. blockers. They got blockers. They've got a lane. 40 yard line. No black shirts between the goal line. Can you believe what you just saw? Woo! How many of you guys want to play some football now? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty incredible. All right, get out your phones. If you have your phones, you can take notes on your phones, look up your Bible app or check into Facebook and and do all that stuff. Uh, While you're doing that, I'm going to pray. It's okay. God knows you have a phone. All right, uh, so we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and your power and your presence have been here strong today. And we expect nothing less than that to happen again right now in this time as we hear your word. Lord, I just know that your word, it goes forth and it accomplishes everything that it's going to do. And we are ready listeners. And Lord, I pray over this congregation that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word also in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you guys know that God will use anybody And God wants to use everybody to accomplish his purpose, right? God wants to use everybody. God wants to get everybody in the game. But the thing is, if you, before you can be used by God, you actually have to get in the game. You have to, you have to get on the dirt. You have to touch the football. You have, before you ever do a touchdown, you got to get in the game and you got to start touching the ball. And so, uh, today, that's what we're, we're wrapping up week five of get in the game. Now, I had some missionaries that we support, uh, come and have lunch with me. Uh, they drove up from Tulsa this past, uh, Tuesday or, or Wednesday it was and just to have lunch. And, and as we were having lunch and they kind of knew a little bit about our church, a lot about our church, but they didn't know my story in particular. And so it just reminded me of, of, uh, what, uh, of, of the story and kind of how God started with me. And I wanted to share just a little example of that. Uh, I had turned, just turned 20 years old and I'd been serving in youth ministry under our youth pastor. Our youth pastor was uh, getting ready to go back and to go back to Tulsa where he was from. And so during this whole changeover process, I had been just serving in the youth ministry. I'd been, a worship, been leading worship at one point. But at this point, I was just serving in the bus ministry of the youth ministry. And so uh, they were bringing in all these uh, interviewers and, and these youth pastors to interview for this job. It was a mega church. So it was a large church. And they could bring in whoever they wanted to interview for the job. And so it was a Monday morning. I remember very specifically, it was a Monday morning. God spoke to me. He said, Sean, start fasting three days. I said, okay. And so I started to fast. And by the time I hit Wednesday, going into youth group that night, God had spoke to me and he said, you're going to be the next youth pastor of this church. 
And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't have any resume for that. I'm not qualified for that. They're bringing in anybody from all over the country to try to fill this slot of this large church. Why would that happen? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense. But God said, you're going to be the next youth pastor to this church. So I remember going into uh, to my youth pastor, Pastor Tom, at that time. And I, I said, uh, Pastor Tom, I've been fasting uh, for three days, and I've come to the conclusion that I feel like God told me that I was going to be the next youth pastor of the church. And he said, I believe God's saying the same thing. And by Friday night, I was in the pastor's office interviewing for the job. By Monday, exactly one week later, they had, they, I was hired for the job. No reason on earth why that should have happened in the natural. I wasn't qualified. I didn't have the resume. And I think about that, that one decision that one conversation, that one obedience changed the course of my life. Think about that one obedience to God to start fasting, that one hearing the voice of God, that one taking a step, it altered the course of my life. And I wonder how many of us are on the doorstep of just the same type of decision. You may be on the doorstep of one obedience, one conversation, one follow through, one step away from changing the course of your life. Now, even though I wasn't qualified, even though on the external, I did not look like I was the man for the job. Here's what I want you to get this morning. And I want to release this this morning, that God always sees more in you than we can see in ourselves. God always sees more in us than we can see in ourselves. You may look at the externals and you're like, I'm not qualified. I'm not the man for the job. I'm not the woman for the job. But God always sees more in us than we see in ourselves. How many times do you think, I mean, it's kind of staggering and scary to think about, but how many times may I have aborted God's mission for my life in some major way because of one disobedience, because of one not following through, because of one not listening? Now, we can't go back and change the past, but what I do want to create is an excitement in us that you may be one step away. And you just may, just because you can't see it does not mean it's not there. Because God saw something in me, and I'm so thankful that God saw something in me that I could not see in myself back when I was 20 years old. God knew that there was more to me than what I thought there was. And I want you to hear this morning, there's more to you right now than what you think there is right now. And as big as you can think about what the future may hold for you, I want you to know that God sees more than that. God sees more in you right now than you could ever see in yourself. And that ought to encourage somebody this morning. But Jesus says... Be careful how you build your life. Be careful what you build your life upon. In Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Somebody took care how they built. And then it goes on and tells the other half of the story. It says, And everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here's my big question for us this morning. What if you have been building your life on the wrong assumptions of who you really are? If what I said is true, that God always sees more in us than we see in ourselves, it might not, it's not a wise thing for us to build on what we see. Wisdom would not have us build on what we see. Wisdom would have us build by faith in what we anticipate that he sees. Because God always sees more in us than we could ever see in ourselves. And when I was thinking about this 
uh, in, in Scripture, one of the classic stories that represents this is this guy named Gideon. You guys, many of you guys are familiar with the story. Gideon was not qualified. Gideon was not, not the guy that should be chosen. If Gideon, if they were picking teams, Gideon would be picked last. He was not the guy. But God doesn't always use the overqualified, does he? And so here's, here's the story. It's found in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them to the hand of Midian for seven years. Think about seven years. Not just one year, two years. Think about seven years ago in your life, how long ago that was. For seven years, this happened. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian. The people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So for seven years, they were oppressed. They weren't winning. They were losing. They were oppressed. How many of you guys know that seven years of failure will change the way you think? Their way of thinking had completely changed. They were thinking not as victorious overcomers. They were thinking of people. They were hiding in the caves instead of living in their houses. They even changed where they lived because they were scared. It changed the whole way they operated. And it says, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. So how many of you guys have had a garden before? Anybody, let me see a show of hands. How many of you guys have had a garden? How many of you guys know that gardens are hard work, aren't they? They are a lot of work. So we're coming up on spring, and so for us, what we do is we've been trying to start our plants in our garden from seeds. So you got to take little, little seeds inside your house and put a light on it, and you got to light it just right and let it sprout up and grow, and then you got to transport it out into the, to the ground and hope it survives out there and, and make sure that it has enough sunlight and water. And then when the plants start to grow, then you got to weed it. How many of you guys hate weeding? You know, you got to weed it all. You go all through spring. You hit summer. It's hot. you still got to till it up. you still got to weed it. Finally, you come over to the fall. When it's harvest time. How many of you guys know that's, that's when a garden is a good thing, right? When it's harvest time and you can walk out and you can pick off the, the fruit and the vegetables and all of those things. Well, the Bible says that they would go through this process of planting, getting their seeds, getting their crops going and, and going all throughout the year. And just when it was time to harvest, the enemy would come in and take all of their crops. How many of you guys, would, that would be disheartening, wouldn't it? Not just one time, seven times in a row that happened. And so that was totally changed the way they thought. It says, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste of the land they came in, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So this is the situation where we find this guy named Gideon in. Seven years of discouragement, of failure, of trying, of getting a, a glimmer of hope, but not going anywhere. Uh, it changed the way they thought about themselves. Judges chapter 6, and here's where we see the, the story get interrupted. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, came and sat under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, and while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, Gideon is a story of someone who really doesn't know who he really is. And he could have gone his whole life and missed it, except for this one encounter that happens in this wine press. He's in this wine press and he's beating out wheat. Now, why is he doing this? It seems personal, per, it seems perfectly rational under the circumstances for him to hide in this wine press and to hide the food. 
because of everything that's ever happened in the last seven years. It seems perfectly reasonable. But how many of you guys know that's not the place where you beat out wheat? You do that in the open air so that as you beat the wheat, that the chaff will blow away and so that the wheat will fall. That's how you do it. You can do it in a wind. And here he is in a wine press. And, and, but under the circumstances, it seems perfectly reasonable to do what he's doing. And I wonder, what are we doing right now under the circumstances that it seems perfectly reasonable for us to do under the circumstances? But what if God were to come in and see something that we can't see about ourselves? And now that we're distanced from, from this situation, and we know this end of the story of Gideon, we're thinking, how ridiculous, you're in the wine press. But for Gideon, it was perfectly reasonable. And you may be in a wine press today, and it may be perfectly reasonable, but I want to sow this word in your heart that God always sees more in you than you can ever see in yourself. And that God is seeing something in you right now that you cannot see. What a tragedy it would be to live your whole life on the wrong purpose. Now, I heard about this story uh, that just happened. This guy died in Galveston uh, a few weeks ago, and the, the family wrote this obituary. I'm not making fun of it, but it's, I just want to show you how extreme this guy who lived for the wrong purposes, evidently, according to his family. I heard about this, and he, it, here's his obituary. Here's what the family wrote about the guy. Just recently, it says he died on January 30th, 2017, after a fight with cancer, age 74. And this, according to the obituary, it says that he, that was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. He leaves behind two relieved children. This is the obituary. At a young age, he quickly came, became a model example of bad parenting combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. It goes on. It says his hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets. It goes on. It says his life served no other obvious purpose. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. Wow. With his passing, he will only be missed only for what he never did, being a, 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 good, a loving husband, father, and a good friend. It says, no services will be held. There will be no prayers for eternal peace uh, and no apologies for, for the, to the family that he tortured Listen to this last line. It says, his remains will be cremated and kept in the barn until Ray, the family's donkey's wood shavings run out. So they're going to cremate the guy and put him over where the donkey does his business. How you guys know that's a pretty extreme example? I'm sure if that guy were to come back now, he might have a wake-up call and say, maybe I should have lived my life for a different purpose, evidently according to the way everybody thought about him. I know that's an extreme example but I want you to know that there are times in our life where we also build on the wrong foundation. And, and at the end of our life, we're going to have this wake-up moment where we realize all these things that maybe we can't see so clearly now that God clearly sees about our life. So what today I want to talk about is how do we do that? How do we step more into what God has called us to do? And I'm going to give you three quick thoughts about how to do that, okay? The first one is very simple, and it's find your purpose, before you can uh, get out of the wine press, you have to find the purpose for why you were created. For why you were created in the first place. You've got to find your purpose. If you were to walk into a cemetery and see all the names on the headstones, and they were to come back to life, I bet they would tell you, I bet if they would live their lives differently if they had a wake-up call. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about all the people that Jesus raised from the dead. Think about it. He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. 
He raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. How many of you guys can bet that when Lazarus came out of the tomb, he lived his life, his second half, a lot different than his first half? I mean, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing he had a wake-up call, and he said, what have I been living my life for? God has given me a second chance. I'm going to live differently now. How many of you guys would live that, that way, too? If you just had a wake-up call, you came back from the dead, we would, we would evaluate our purpose. There was a guy a couple hundred years ago, uh, not, not too long ago, in the 1800s, that had just this idea happen to him. Uh, his brother died, and the, it's a famous story, but his brother died, and the paper, the newspapers of the day, thought that it was actually him who died, and so they wrote an obituary about him. And so he had this rare picture into what the world would remember him like if he had passed away. And he was the inventor of dynamite. And so according to the way everybody pictured him, they said, this guy is the guy who was basically paraphrased that he was the guy that invented something that could kill the most people in all of human history. They called him the mercenary of death, the merchant of death. And he's sitting there and he knew that wasn't his heart. But since he invented this, he had amassed a, a great fortune from it. And so that's how he knew he had a rare glimpse into his horror to be able to see how people would see him if he'd passed away. And so he made a vow. He's like, all right, I am going to give the rest of my life. He had the wake-up call to his purpose. He said, I'm going to give the rest of my life, and I'm going to sow all of my fortune to this idea of, of anybody who makes all these uh, astonishing uh, contributions or outstanding contributions in, in physics or chemistry or, or physiology or medicine or, or uh, in the areas of peace or economics. And he, became, he donated his whole fortune towards that, and it, it started this thing that we now know of as the Nobel Peace Prize or the Nobel Prize. And so we know Alfred Nobel for the Nobel Peace Prize, we don't really think of him as the dynamite guy. It's a great example of somebody who had that aha moment with their purpose. And I had this phrase, kind of this prayer, rise up in me this past week as I was thinking about this. This statement kind of rise up to the surface of my heart. And I was kind of praying this and kind of saying this to God. I said, God, I want to live like I was just raised from the dead. I want to live that kind of life. I want to live with that kind of awareness. Like I just got raised from the dead. What, would, what kind of eyes would I have to see the world? What kind of eyes would I have that aha moment? I want to live in that aha moment of like I've just been given a second chance to discover my purpose. Because God has a purpose for every single person in this room. And, and God always sees more in you than you could ever see in yourself. And so the question is, what if you are missing information just like Gideon was? Gideon was in the wine press. It was perfectly reasonable for him to be there, but he was missing a key piece of information that God had that he didn't. And so what happens next is Gideon's aha moment in Judges chapter 6, or at least the beginning of it, verse 12. The angel of the Lord, again, appeared to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And all of a sudden it started this process. God introduced the way he saw him. Now, here's the funny thing about the truth. You won't live the truth until you know the truth. It doesn't matter what's true about you. If you don't know it, you can't live it. And, and so that's what the aha moment is for. That's what that opening up of our heart to God is that finding our purpose. What if there's more that you don't know? God knows your story and God always sees more in you than you could ever see in yourself. And so here's my question. I've got a question for you to wrestle with right now. You may be just going through the motions of your life. 
You may be just, and it, it is perfectly reasonable what you're doing according to your circumstances. But you're going through the motions. And you will never change your course. You may miss your purpose if you don't step back out of that for just a moment. So here's my question for you to wrestle with. Are you genuinely excited about what you're doing? Or are you having to manufacture a false hype to keep it going? And I understand in our jobs, sometimes we just got to do what needs to be done. I understand in our family, sometimes we got to do what just needs to be done. But I'm saying if you zoom out and you say, God, what am I really giving my life to? Am I genuinely excited about what I'm giving my life to? Or am I manufacturing a false hype to keep it going? And I think as we wrestle with that question, it's opening the door for God to speak into our heart for who he really sees us as. All right, so find your purpose. Number two, find your place. Because it's not just enough to get in the game when it comes to serving God. There's a place on the team that you shine the brightest. God has deposited a certain role for you, a specific place for you. And there's a place on the team that you shine the brightest. Every single person in this room has a call from God. But not every single person's call is the same. Have you guys know that's true? But here's the problem. Here's what I end up seeing. A lot of times we don't value the differences in one another. And we know that every person has a call and everyone's not the same. And here's what we end up doing. We end up either looking up to someone saying, man, I wish I get to do what they get to do. Or we end up looking down to somebody who doesn't have the same, is not doing the same thing we're doing and saying, why aren't they doing what we're doing? How many of you guys have ever been there before? Every single one of us. And we've got to learn to appreciate that not only does somebody else have a unique call, but God has a unique call for my life. God has made me unique. Let me, let me prove it to you, okay? You are unique and your unique vision is needed. How many of you guys have ever heard of something called the strength finder test? Anybody? All right, some people, handful. Here's what happened. They wanted to, do, they wanted to discover di- different traits and talents in people across the world. So they traveled all across the world for 40 years and asked 2,000 questions of people all over the world. And after 40 years, they, they found these 34 different strengths that emerged and floated to the top that they found as common within everybody across cultures and everything. Some of them would be things like, like achiever, like some, of, some people just seem to have this get it done type thing. Other people are like a learner, so they, they, that's just kind of how they're wired. Every single person, they, they found commonalities throughout all of it, 34 of them. And so they developed this test for people to take based on the 40 years of experience and the 2,000 questions that they summed down to try to identify those different qualities. And so you can go and you can take this test, and it'll list out your strengths, 1 through 34, in order of, of strength. And so, uh, hello, Lord. Um, Somebody's calling. All right, so it'd be uh, 34 different uh, strengths listed from strongest to weakest. And so what they do is they take your top five strengths in that order to paint a little picture about how you're wired. Okay? So every single person, if everybody in the world took this test, everybody took their top five in that order, How many people do you think you would have to talk to before you would find another person with your top five in the same order as you? How many people do you think you'd have to talk to? 33 million. Statistically, you'd have to talk to 33 million people. So basically with 7 point whatever billion people on the planet, that means that statistically, according to to these numbers, that there are only around 212 people on the planet that have the same top five in your order as you. How many of you guys know you are unique? You are unique. If you were to bring it out and bring it one more to, to the sixth, 
your top six, they said, you'd be lucky if you found one other person on the planet that has the top six in your order, in the same order. How many of you guys know you are unique? And when we devalue the uniqueness of our place that God has put, then we may miss opportunities that God has for us. Now, let me just take it down, shrink it down a little bit more, okay? How about in Missouri? You're statistically probably the only person in our state with your, your specific five. How about in our region? Oh, I guarantee you, you're the only person in our region with those top five in that order. What about our church? I guarantee you, you're the only person in this church. And so what happens? If you don't get in the game, if you don't participate, do you think something's missing? Absolutely. Because God wants to use anybody, and God wants to use everybody. You may not beat the eye, you may be the foot, but you are all needed. And if you don't show up to the game, then something is missing about the uniqueness of what God wants to do. You are unique, and God has created you for a purpose. Now, here's the, here's the issue, though. When we talk about strengths, and we talk about gifting, and all that is fun to talk about, but here's the warning. Satan has a counterfeit for every purpose of God in your life. Satan has a counterfeit for every purpose of God in your life. Satan is a defeated foe, but he's like a snake in the water, and he's always stirring up the water. He's always trying to influence what's going on. So several years ago, um, my son and I, we went on a camping trip. We went on a float trip. I'd never been on a float trip before, so uh, I didn't really know what to do. So I just rented a canoe and went uh, about four hours. It was like a four-hour canoe trip. So I got my life jacket on, felt like a dork and with a life jacket, didn't know what I'm doing with the canoe. So we get in the water, and we're just going down the river. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I know that somewhere down here four hours from now, we're going to be getting off. And uh, so we're just floating down the river, just sitting in the water. And all of a sudden, I see on the bank, I see this snake slithering in the water on top of the water towards us. Now, I hate snakes. How many of you guys hate snakes? I cannot stand them. If I see a snake, like on a video or something, I won't sleep for hours, okay? Because when I was a kid, I had these nightmares about snakes. I just don't, I hate them. And so I see the snake, I'm spitting everywhere. I see the snake. <laughs> you ought to try speaking as much as I do. And I see the snake coming to the water towards me. And I had a couple of thoughts in that moment. Uh, the first thought was this, can snakes jump? I really don't know. I don't know if they can lunge out of the water at me. I don't know. He's floating on top. And so I was, that was what I was thinking. Can snakes jump? And he's coming right towards me. My second thought was, how do I turn this canoe so that my son is closer to the snake than I am? <laughs> I'm not proud of that moment, but I did have that thought. Because I thought, at least if he gets bitten, I can take him to the hospital. But if I go, it's all over, you know? And the point of that is that's what Satan's like. Now, we ended up floating down the river and, and by the grace of God. Uh, so uh, we got away from this thing. But that's what Satan does. He wants to intimidate and he wants to affect your path. He wants to slither and affect your path. So he creates a counterfeit for every purpose of God in your life. Let me tell you something about counterfeits. Counterfeit is not the opposite. A counterfeit's not the opposite. A counterfeit is a false version. In fact, it looks very close to the real thing. Counterfeit's not the opposite. So when you have counterfeit money, it looks a whole lot like real money, doesn't it? So the opposite of money would be teenagers. That's what the opposite of money would be because every time I show up around them, it's gone. It's just gone. But a, but a counterfeit, counterfeit money looks a whole lot like the real, right? And that's what Satan does in your life. You get a direction, you get a strength, you get a purpose, you get a place. And what he will do is he'll create a counterfeit version of it 
One that looks pretty close to the original, but not quite. I knew a guy several years ago, several years ago, he just had a strength in his life, just a charisma to attract people to him all the time. He, would just, he could gather a group of people and just, just it seemed like a natural born leader, just could attract a following wherever he went. Great, pur- I mean, great gift of God, great strength that God could, could use. The problem was, it was a ca- he would always step into the counterfeit version, the one that looked close but not quite, because he would always use that strength to serve himself. He would gather a group of people, and he'd be great at gathering a group of people, but in, in the end, it ended up being about himself every time. And it, in the end, it would always implode because he bought into the counterfeit version of his strength. So a str- uh, one of these strengths that I'm talking about, here's how it looks and plays out into your life. Counterfeits happen because of a misplaced identity or because of a misused strength. Misplaced identity or misused strength. Misplaced identity looks like this. this. This guy, as I was reading about these strengths, he said that he had that achiever type deal where he, he basically is to get things done. And he said every, all throughout his life, uh, how many of you guys think you're probably that? Like, I'm a get things done type person, right? So there's 34 of them, so who knows? But uh, he, he had this one, and he said all throughout his life, everybody around him told him that he didn't like people. He just liked getting things done. And he, in his heart, he was like, he was a very focused individual, but he was like, I do like people, but I just I get things done. And even his own mama told him. <laughs> he was like, mama told me that too. And so what he started doing, he started to distance himself away from his achiever strength. And he started to buy into a label that other people had about him. And that's one of the dangers of the counterfeit. Another danger of the counterfeit is that what I've mentioned is a misused strength. So let me give you an example that's pretty obvious in my life, okay, if you know me at all. I don't have to hide it or reveal it. Uh, one of the strengths of my life and the purposes of my life is that God has called me to use my voice to glorify him. God has called me to speak out, to preach, to whatever it is. I mean, I've, it's been that way all my life. Uh, but also, if I misuse that strength, it's, I'm buying into the counterfeit version, which looks very similar at first. Because I'm great at, I can debate, I can use my voice, I always had to get the last word in. And, and what was a strength also became a weakness when I buy into the counterfeit version of it. And so we have to be careful to not buy into the counterfeit version of our strength. Because God has a purpose for everything in our life, but Satan also has a counterfeit version of it. Now, here, here's what happens to, to Gideon. Again, let's look at this in Judges chapter 6. Verse 12, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And he goes on and he says, how am I a mighty man of valor? I'm hiding in a wine press. I'm the weak, we have the weakest clan. We got the weakest family. I'm the weakest in my family. He's like, I'm the chess player in a room full of wrestlers and football players. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm, I'm the, not very strong. I'm the run of the family. Uh, how is this, how am I a mighty man of valor? But as, as I've said, God always calls the end from the beginning. Do you know the end of Gideon's story is that he was a mighty man of valor. He was a mighty hero. Was God lying about Gideon when he told him that? No. In God's eyes, he always calls what you will be, he calls it now. God calls you right now what you will be. And it's not a lie, it's the truth, it's what you are. So Gideon was a mighty man of valor, he just hadn't walked it out yet. And so God speaks that in life. He, he says, how? He says, God says, you are a mighty man of valor. God knows there is strength in you, whether you know it or not. 
God, and that ought to encourage somebody this morning. Because you're looking at your life, you're like, I'm just in a wine press. I screw it all up. I, I'm being oppressed. I'm being discouraged. No, God sees the strength in you. You can't see it. You see, faith requires that the odds be against you. God sees the strength in you, even though you can't see it. But on average, they say from the first, listen to this, on average from the first 18 years of your life, from zero to 18, you hear 148,000 no's or you can't. 148,000 times. Some of your moms are like, yeah, I'm doing that all the time. I'm like, yeah, well, that's natural, some of it. It's natural. But in that same course of time, how many yeses and you cans do you hear? Not near as many. Not near as many. And so what happens, the no's and you can'ts gets programmed as files in your brain that you then go as a paradigm to, to make all your decisions with, and that's what's stuck in your brain. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. It's not the way you have to be, but since you're thinking of yourself that way, that's the way you are. You, you say, well, this is just the way I am. No, it's the way you think you are, and so that's the way you are. Well, no, this is the way God created. No, God didn't create Gideon that way. But as he thought, that's why he was. But the moment he saw the light bulb switch on, all of a sudden he could be somebody new because he could think about himself in a new way because all of a sudden he had new information about how God saw him. And as soon as you get the revelation about how God sees you, that's the moment where you can change how you are. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I've got a question right now. You, again, you may be going through the motions right now. You may be doing what you're doing because it makes perfect sense, but you may not be operating in your strength, in your God-giftedness, in your spiritual gifting. So let me ask you a question for you to wrestle with. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what could you be doing instead that would produce more fruit? Because you can make a case for whatever you're doing now that makes perfect sense with your life. But if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what could you be doing if you were to step fully into God's strength? It may open up a brand new door of possibilities for you. All right, find your purpose, find your place. Last thing, and I'll wrap this up. Find your process. God has a specific process for you that's unique for every, it's unique for you. It's not gonna be the same for anybody else. God isn't a cookie cutter God. God knows you individually. God loves you individually. And so God has an individual tailored process for you to walk this thing out with. If you're looking around and comparing yourself to other people, you're gonna be very disappointed in the way it turns out for you because God doesn't deal with you the way he deals with other people. Gideon uh, had that happen in Judges chapter six, verse 16. It says, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. That's a pretty strong statement. Gideon replied, all right, if you are truly going to help me, so he's kind, of turning, he's kind of turning around to this idea, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. And so if you know the story, what does Gideon do? He takes the fleece out and he sets it on the ground. He says, all right, I want the fleece to be dry in the morning and I want the ground to be wet. And he gets up and it happened. He's like, okay, well, hold on. Uh, let's, do, uh, let's do two for one here, God. Uh, let's switch it around. And let's make the fleece wet and the ground dry this morning. And he's just trying to, I mean, he's trying to get out of it, but he's trying to also see if it's God. He wakes up and the opposite thing happens in the morning. He's like, all right, okay, fine. And he finally taps out and says, I guess this is you. Here's the thing. God was okay with the fleece. God didn't mind Gideon doing the fleece. For Gideon. That doesn't mean that's what it is for you. 
Because never again in Scripture do we see a moment where somebody did what Gideon did with God. Every single one, Moses, Noah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, they all had their own individual tailored process that they went through. David, never again did we see God handle it the way he did with David because it was David was a specific person, a unique person. And the same is true for you. God is going to deal with you in your own unique way. Don't look around to everybody else. If you are the only person on the planet like you, you have no competition. You have no competition. That ought to free somebody up right there. So what happened with Gideon? He, he goes from the wine press to 32,000 people and an army following him. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, he goes from one guy in the wine press who's the least, the least, the least, the unqualified, to now he's got 32,000 people. And God says, I want to get glory through you. You've got too many, even though they've outnumbered you. Uh, You've got too many. So tell everybody who's afraid to go home. 22,000 of them left. Now he's got just 10,000 people. I'm sure he's thinking, having second thoughts about this. Let's, let's try the fleece thing again, God. Let's just see if that works again. And God says, no, you still got too many. He said, let's take them down to the water and let's have everybody get a drink down at the river. And everybody who laps up the water like a dog, let's use those guys. They're crazy. Let's use those guys. 300 of them are left. And God says, all right, now we can do it. So God had a specific process for Gideon that was only for Gideon. Faith requires that the odds be against you. Have you noticed that God doesn't seem to use the overqualified? The most of the time God uses the underqualified and he deposits his strength in them. So I'm, I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you say, I'm getting in the wine press, congratulations, God's going to use you in a big way. God's going to use you in a big way. Several years ago when I was a youth pastor, we had this big production that we were going to be doing with the church. I mean, thousands of people would come to it. It was called Noah's Ark. And we were literally going to have all these animals. I mean, kangaroos, every, every type of animal come through and be a part of this production. I mean, live animals. And so we're two weeks out from this big production. There was a whole production team. It was all supposed to uh, be ready. And the pastor, is one of the strangest meetings of my life, the pastor calls me in and he says, listen, uh, we've had some sort of miscommunication. We thought there was going to be an ark ready now for this production, but we don't have an ark. Sean, can you build me an ark? Sure. I've got years of construction experience at this point because I grew up in the construction business. So I'm like, okay, so they had all this, you know, wood st- or this uh, foam stuff. I was like, I can't do it out of foam. I can do it out of wood. That's all I know. I don't have gopher wood, but I do have cedar wood. So will that work? And so I spent the next two weeks building an ark uh, out of wood. And it was a big old thing. It was, I mean, it's massive. It didn't float, but it was close to it. I mean, doors that opened up. I mean, it was this big, huge thing, a uh, big, massive deal. It was a great, great time. So fast forward to uh, about 10 years ago when we were coming down here to plant the church. Uh, we wanted to just pour all of our time into this. And so I, I had a job, but I wanted to, to, to trim down and just do something part-time. And so I went and I interviewed at Lowe's here in Liberty. And uh, I'm thinking, I've got construction experience. You know, uh, I should be able to get a job here. And so I went in for an interview. And I'd never really been in for any interview. So they're asking me all these weird questions, these, you know, how you think type questions and stuff. And so one of the questions that she asked me, she said, name a situation where something was sprung on you. Uh, How did you handle it? What did you do? The first thing that popped in my mind was building this ark. I think this sounds crazy. But I said, well, I built an ark once. (laughs) And she's like, Explain. (laughs) 
And so I tell the whole story, and she's like, I've never had anyone give me an answer like that before. They never called me back. They never gave me any more information. I'm thinking, I must be too qualified for whatever they wanted me to do. I mean, all these years of construction experience, built an ark or whatever. Sometimes that's the way we are with God. We think, God, I've got all this experience. And God says, you know what? I'm really looking for someone that I can get some glory through. And so if you don't have qualifications, if you feel like I'm in the wine press right now, I want you to know God has a process for you. But if God has a purpose and God has a place and God has a process, you're not going to live any of it unless you surrender to the process. And that's where I think the biggest issue is because we look around at everyone else and we say, why can't my process be like their process? And no matter what your purpose is, you will stay stuck in the wine press if you choose not to surrender to the process. God wants to do big things through you. God wants you to be a part of his purpose, but you've got to surrender to the process. You've got to surrender to the process in order to be promoted to your purpose. You say, well, what if I don't know what to do? I'm in the wine press. What if I don't know where to, where to start? I'm really glad you asked that question. That was a great question you asked. That was great. Why, where do I start? Here's what I know about God. God guides as we move. So many of us are standing there and we're waiting for God to drop this purpose in our life. We're waiting for God to tell us what to do when we're stationary. God doesn't work that way for the most part. God guides as we move. You start someplace and God begins to steer the ship at that point. When we were planning this church, God gave me a word. He just simply said, something's going to change. I knew enough about God to start walking. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was this church. I just knew that was a word from God and God guides as we move. And so I'm going to start walking. And I started seeking and I started praying and I started fasting. And one thing leads to the other and God begins to guide. And by the end of six months, all of a sudden, God has dropped this new word in my heart to plant this church. Because God guides as we move. God doesn't guide when you stay put. I, I love, you know, that, that saying that God seems to guide more by uh, red lights than green lights. In other words, you're sitting there waiting for a green light to show up, and God's saying, no, you just start going. I'll give you a yellow or a red when I need to, but you start moving. God guides as we move. And so if you need a place to start, you may be looking at this church, and that's why we've been talking about this get in the game. You may be looking at our church and say, they don't need any help there. They don't, need, they don't have any spot for me. How could I even, I mean, it seems like they got everything covered. If you're looking for a place to start and just start, it doesn't mean that's where you're going to end. It just means starting. We've got places for you to start. Let me give you an example. This will, this will be stunning to you, but let me give you an example of just a few of our ministries. I got together with our team and I said, guys, what would it look like in your ministry if er you've got all these services, all these opportunities, all these slots, if everybody only served once a month in your ministry, one slot once a month, what would it look like? How many spots would you need to fill? If everybody only served once a month, how many new spots would you need to, how many new people would need, be needed to fill all the slots? Listen to this. In our uh, hospitality team, which is our coffee bar, our connections team, our ushers, that type of thing, we would need 64 people to fill the slots if everybody was only to serve once a month beyond the people we already have. Whew. 64 people. Let me give you another area. In our Journey Kids area, the, the Journey Kids back there, because we have three services uh, a Sunday, we have multiple services throughout a month, and we have multiple roles within that. If everybody was to only serve once a month, we would need 50 people to fill out all those slots. 
in our media area, which is lighting, web, social media, website, all that type of stuff, we would need 60 people to fill out all the roles and the slots just for our media area. So you say, well, there, you got everything covered. You don't need any, any, any spots for me. There's no place for me. Early childhood, which is our check-in, our nursery, our preschool, we, if everybody only worked once a month in one slot, we would need 52 people to fill the slots in order to get the job done with just our current level right now. Our connect groups, we're wanting to double those by the end of the year. So we would need 50 between uh, assistant leaders and leaders. We'd need 50 more people just to fill out where we need to be by the end of the year for those spots. Now, those are just our in-house ministries. I'm not even talking about our outreach ministries. I'm not talking about our mission strips. I'm not talking about our partnerships with all of the outreach ministries that we do uh, with you know, Camp Comcedo or, or Hillcrest. I'm not talking about any of the outreach stuff. I'm talking about inside, our, just in our house. Let me show you how many opportunities there are just from those five or six ministries. We would need 276 people today to step up to fill it out. Whew. There's a place for you. There's a place for you to start. And you say, well, I don't feel called to that. You know what? God guides as we move. God guides as we move. And as we start walking, God begins to, to, walk, to direct our steps, right? Isn't that what the word says? That trust in the Lord with all of our heart and he will guide our path. He, he, will, he will be that light unto our feet, that, that light unto our path. Start somewhere. And I just want to suggest that those of you guys who haven't got in the game, we've got 150, you say, man, what's going on with those 150? They're like David's mighty men. I mean, they are like two or three ministries. They are serving three or four times a month in different areas, and they are amazing. And so we want you to join the team. We want you to join the team in some way, shape, or form to get in the game somewhere here and through our outreaches and just in life in general to get in the game. Let me give you a starting place. If you go to journeykc.com serve, if you're not involved now, the easy steps for how to get involved, our Discover the Journey class would be a great place to start. We're going to pack that out this time. We'd love to meet you. Love to get you in the game. Now, let me leave you with one last thought. It's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. And here it is. It's in Psalm chapter 77, verse 19. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come on back up. Psalm chapter 77, verse 19. I don't think I have it up on the screen. Here it is. It says, You're, this, is all, this is talking about the Red Sea and Moses parting the Red Sea, the whole thing. Here it is. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. Do you see the picture of what's happening here? From the foundations of the earth... God knew that there would be a day when the Israelites would be up against the Red Sea. He knew there would be a day when the waters would part. He knew there would be a day when the Israelites' feet would walk underneath that Red Sea on dry land. And from the foundations of the earth, he placed a pathway underneath the Red Sea that no one knew was there. It was covered by water. But all of a sudden, at that moment, when Moses stretched out the staff, God parted the water, and it revealed this pathway that God put there from the foundations of the earth that no one could see. I think it's one of the coolest things. Now, I want you to see that God has pathways you can't see right now. And the question is, what am I missing out by just sticking my head in the wine press and not, try, not looking up and, and, and asking God, God, what do you see about my life that I can't see? God, what path is in my life that, that I don't know is there, but one day if I would just stretch out the, the staff, you'd part the waters and I'd be able to see that from the foundations of the earth, you had this path laid for me. Whew. 
God has a plan for you. And I just want to be just the just a temporary voice of God in your life to if you're in the wine press right now, I just want to call you out of that and say you are a mighty man of God. You are a mighty woman of God. You can't see that right now? That's fine. We're going to speak that and call you out and call you up out of that. God has a purpose that God always sees things in yourself that you can't see in yourself. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the table of communion. We've got tables here, tables in the back. This is all about the, the, the body that was broken is represented by the cracker, the body that was broken on the cross. We, we've got the, the, the juice that represents the blood that was spilled. And here's what this does. This represents that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And on the cross, he laid down his life. But he didn't just stay in the grave. He rose from the dead and he has victory over sin. And so when we come to the table, we remember the victory over sin that God has given us. And we celebrate that. But it's also a time for us to surrender to the purposes and plans of God for our life. We come to the table because we come as, as surrendering. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to come to the table. We're going to celebrate victory but we're also going to surrender fresh and anew. Surrender to God's purpose for your life. Surrender to God's process for your life. Surrender to God what, the way God sees you. And you're going to take the elements during this song and take them back to your seat. And I just want you to sit down there at your seat and just have a moment with God there. And just remembering the sacrifice. Remembering and then surrender. Release. Open up your hand to God's path and to God's ways. Let's stand up and we'll pray and we'll do that. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence, for your power for your purpose. Lord, I thank you for these people. Lord, as we come to the table, we do celebrate your victory. We celebrate in your victory. And Lord, we also surrender once again. So Lord, I pray as we come to the table, there'd be people who would who'd be just, as it were, just opening up our hands before you, saying, God, my life is yours. I've been crucified with you. I surrender to your process. I surrender to your purpose. Lord, I'm gonna get in the game and start moving. God guides as we move. Let's come to the table right now. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.